Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. Welcome back. My name is Israel Herndon, and I am guest hosting five special episodes with participants from the 2022 Summer Institute on Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx Studies, funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities. This two-week conference was hosted by the Afro-Latinidad Studies Institute, which also runs this podcast. And today, I'm very excited to introduce to you Ami Sena. Ami Sena was born in the Dominican Republic and grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. She is a current doctoral candidate at the University of Georgia in counseling psychology. Prior, she earned her master's in mental health counseling from Boston College and a bachelor's in psychology and Latin American and Caribbean studies from Suffolk University. Ami's primary research interest focuses on the mental health and wellness of Afro-Latin and Afro-Caribbean communities. Additional areas of research interest include racial and ethnic identity development, alternative forms of healing, creation, and the evaluation of the current mental health interventions and practices. Ami currently serves as a bilingual doctoral level clinician working with the uninsured community of Athens. Regarding teaching, Ami serves as the instructor for an undergraduate course, Diversity and Helping Skills. Above all, Ami identifies as a big sister and a mentor. She's an outdoors enthusiast, enjoys travel, morning cafecito, and spending time with family and friends. Welcome to the podcast, Ami. Thank you. That was great. Thank you for that intro. And so just to start things off, you yourself are Afro-Dominican. And so how have some of your life experiences shaped some of the work that you do and who you are today? Right. So I am Afro-Dominican, was born in DR, came to the U.S. and grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, which is surprisingly, Providence has a pretty significant immigrant community and a significant Dominican community. Um, So yeah, so I would say it really came from noticing how oppression worked in the U.S. Um, I noticed that my friends were struggling with a lot of things, whether it was like they were struggling to achieve their goals. They were struggling to um, gain financial like freedom. They were struggling with like substance use, um, relationships, like all those things. And I noticed that it was happening within communities of color, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's like some level of struggle that's going on here that's not necessarily happening in white spaces. Um, not that it doesn't occur, but just wasn't the same. And then, so I was like forming that kind of idea and kind of, you know, passion. Um, And then I was also frequently traveling to Dominican Republic and in DR. So my family is Afro-Dominican, right? So a lot of my family are black, right? They're black or they're mixed mixed race, I guess, but they present black. Um, And I noticed in DR how race was working and how there was a lot of anti-black rhetoric. There was a lot of um, a lot of anti-black rhetoric, but a lot of connection to the African diaspora. Like it was mm-hmm. like in culture and behavior. Um, but my darker skin family was very much struggling with a lot of things. They were struggling with um, poverty. They were struggling with um, relational stuff, infidelity, substance. You know, like alcoholism was a big thing. Um, And so I was like, what is happening? It's like, you know, my community of color in the U.S., my community in DR, 
And like, how do I use my privilege to really um, just create some kind of opportunity where people can feel liberated and do what they want to do in life? I'm not saying, I'm not like saying they should do something or become rich or whatever, but mm -hmm. just, just so that they feel they have more autonomy or more agency in their life um, and feel better about themselves in this process, more confident. Um, and so I was really drawn to psychology and kind of this idea that like, our minds informs just our behaviors and um, our social experiences informs um, our life. And so, yeah, so through my lived experiences, I became very interested in helping communities of color, but then even more specifically Afro-Latinx, Afro-Caribbean communities. Um, and then now that I'm in psychology, I'm like, oh shit, like, I don't know if I could say that, but um, <laughs> um, this is really white. Um, so mm, how, do yeah. we, uh, how do we decolonize and liberate psychology so it really can, one sees my people and then two also uh you know just just has like real healing practices and real ways of thinking of my community that is like creates visibility and authenticity and honors them as like real people humans you know um so that's kind of where my passions come from that's beautiful and I think it's also the work that you do is super important in acknowledging those realities and um, just to kind of follow up you work in mental health and mm -hmm. you talked a, a little bit about liberation and decolonizing psychology what does that mean to you or what does that look like I know that's kind of a big question but I'm figuring it out <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the deco the decolonizing process is just like and the liberating the liberation process is something that I have to not only work in in my like professional spaces but also internally within myself mm -hmm. like I constantly need to check myself and really build that consciousness for myself. So I feel like there's no like necessary like endpoints in this kind of journey or this kind of work. But as I see it right now, it's um, challenging the the master narrative, right? Um, mm -hmm. Looking at communities of color as uh, inferior or um, smaller. Um, thinking about communities of color, and I'm using this term as communities of color, is like one big like hegemony or like one big kind of thing. And we all look the same and we all have the same story. And it's like, well, no, there's so much like differences within this group, even within like the black community, there's so many differences and so many nuances. So I think that's a big part of decolonizing. And then in terms of like, and there's more to that, um, but you know, have to work on it on myself. And then uh, for others, um, decentering whiteness and European kind of thinking, not getting, I'm not, I don't think I'm one that's like, um, European thinking is terrible, like, you know, but it has affected my community and has negatively impact and oppressed my community. So, you know, how do we also elevate kind of my experiences and the experiences of my community? So yeah, and then when thinking about liberation psych, um, thinking about how do we not continue to perpetuate oppression, right? So like, even if we work at 
create dismantling oppression for women, right? We know through the history of feminism that that, that didn't mean liberation for all women, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we think of um, psychology? How do we think of wellness and mental health in a way that um, is liberating for all people? So they're liberating themselves, but they're also helping other people liberate themselves in their process. Um, so it's it's greater than just me and my social identity and my identities as an Afro-Latina, but how do I help queer Southeast Asians also? You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of the the shared liberation, the share oppression kind of idea mm-hmm. and shared liberation. Through my own liberation, I help you. Yeah, this is, I mean, I don't want to put this term on you, <laughs> but uh, I feel like I'm hearing about I'm connecting this with a lot of the womenist thinkers that I'm very feminist thought. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's definitely something that I hear a lot. And just speaking of that, what are some of your influences that great question? (laughs) Um, so, um, my OG Sojourner Truth. Oh my gosh. She's like my babe. (laughs) Right. But just like, she was like, and I, and I'm going to say her first because she literally was in this like hella oppressive environment and was like, I'm a bring, I like, I feel like right now in our society, I don't want to say it's cool, but it is kind of cool to jump on the bandwagon and say intersectionality and like, you know, black feminist thought and womanism. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, a little bit more socially acceptable, a little bit more on the cool factor. Back then, that was not cool. Like, you know, um, probably didn't have community. She was probably like, a, uh, you know, I mean, she probably did have community, but probably very small communities. It was probably really hard for her to, to stand as a woman of one. So like just the courage behind her doing that work and bringing um, consciousness to oppression during a really oppressive time um, in our history, I think is just pretty badass. So I'm gonna say her. There's obviously others, um, but yeah, there's more contemporary people, but I'm just- Yeah, that's a, that, see, that's a good choice. <laughs> that's a good choice. That was yeah. like what got me into, she was who got me into black studies in oh, fifth grade. That was right. my girl. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Yes. And you were also a participant in our NEH Transnational Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad Conference. Mm -hmm. And um, so just to kind of start to talk about that, how did the conference expand on some of your previous scholarship? Uh, It expanded everything. And (laughs) (laughs) um, this was the first time ever I've been in the space where it was only focus on Afro-Latinos mm. and Afro-Latinidad and, you know, Afro-Latinx, Afro-Latin, whatever term. Um, yeah. So it was like one, like just personally validating for myself in terms of like messages I, or thoughts I already had that I was like, but no one is talking about this. And then I come here and I was like, oh wait, people have been talking about this. Mm. I just didn't know because you're like, not visible. Um, but 
Yeah. So I forgot your question again. Can you repeat it? <laughs> oh, of course. Um, how did the conference expand on your previous scholarship? Yeah. So yes, it helped uh, give me kind of words and history and context for a lot of the things I felt and saw. Um, oh man, the the converse, the even like the first week, the conversation on race in Latin America, and when we had Keisha Khan talk about Leila Gonzalez and um, her work in womanist kind of arenas. Um, I had no idea about Leila. Um, and being, and that's the thing about being in psych, like we, we don't get the history, we don't get the mm. anthropology. We have to go out of our way as people who, as psychologists who really care about decolonizing and liberating psychology, um, and liberating people, we really have to go out of our ways to educate ourselves. And so prior to this, I was exposed to um, a lot of Black studies kind of thoughts and thinking and conversations, but I wasn't exposed to this from like from Latin America. So it really gave me like um, the history, the kind of anthropological perspectives um, and uh, text, mm -hmm. um, which when we think of the human, you know, we need to understand history, social, political, climate, context to really understand how someone presents right now in space. So I think it just added this like colorful, you know, uh, context to my work. Mm. And your project for the conference, could you talk a little bit about <laughs> well, I, um, I think I came into the conference with my research project, right? That's the one you. Yes. Okay. Um, so I came in, so this is post my second year. So doctoral student, um, really trying to grapple with my dissertation idea, mm -hmm. um, what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to look at mental health. I knew I wanted to look at Afro-Latinos mental health and there's so much missing in the, in like psycho psychological literature on us. And every, so I could literally go at either way. Like I could look at anxiety in the Afro-Latino community, mm -hmm. I could look at the role of spirituality in the Afro-Latino community and how that helps. But um, so I came in with like something about identity and something relating it to how we form our identities um, and Afro-Latino communities. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I do. So I kind of presented that and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and now you're actually working on writing it. So how has that evolved? What does it look like right. now? So one beautiful thing that I think this conference, uh, this institute did for me was really helped me I mean, I always knew history was important, mm -hmm. but helped me really value like oral histories and documenting this from um, Afro descendientes, right? Like how do we, like the importance of like, okay, our elders are dying. Like there's so much invisibility occurring and, you know, like we don't have translated texts. We don't even have some of these voices that were heavily involved in like resistance movement movements like we don't even have that documented like we got to go out here and like record people and type it up and publish it because it's going to get lost you know mm -hmm. and so that like really resonated with me 
And so it informs my current dissertation topic, which will be um, looking at the racial and ethnic identity development of Afrodescendientes, older adults. So mm. sitting with some, you know, some of our elders in the uh, Afro-Latinx community and talking about just their process of understanding their race, their ethnicity, how maybe, you know, them being Afro-descendiente impacted the way people treated them or, or opened them up to certain spaces, how it informed the way they showed up in the world. Um, how that, and then, and then how like their identity development process impacts their mental health. So, or impacted their perceptions of their mental health. So did that influence the way they thought of their confidence or their mm. self-efficacy, or did it make them anxious in certain spaces? Were they experiencing racial trauma like way back then, you know, like mm. before this kind of new concept. Um, so just really exploring that exploring how they understand their their mental health because of their identity um and then an added is you know older adults there's like a developmental theory that really talks about um how older adults enter this stage of gener like being generative so like how do they give back what's their legacy they live leave behind um and really just looking at how maybe their racial and ethnic identity development not only impacted their perceptions of their mental health, but then how does this also impact their legacy that they leave behind? Like, how does that impact the way they grandparent? Like I'd spent so much time with my grandparents and they were a big part of my identity development. How did that impact the, the, the messages they told me or the experiences I had or the way they saw themselves um, as like influential to others in terms of thinking of their connection to the African diaspora? very ambitious but, um, <laughs> yeah I feel like you have to be though with dissertation topics you have you really to be do. ambitious <laughs> you, do, you do and it's gonna be a qualitative study so just um really entering um conversations not like stale I ask you a question and then I sit quietly but very you know bringing thinking about our cultural values as Latinx people and um being very conversational so I'm using certain intersectional and decolonial methodologies and methods to really help me hopefully get to some pretty cool work mm, I can't <laughs> wait to see what if it all becomes and also too I love that you're also bringing in how important the honoring that tradition is and then also bringing us back to the decolonization so we can definitely see how important that is to you and the work that you do in your fields Right, right. So even as I do this research project, um, the methodology that I want to use isn't well known. And it's not necessarily like a socially acceptable one, but it's a very known mm. one. So and it removes a lot of power dynamics in the actual interviewing process. It's like we're co-collaborating, we are you're we're co-theorizing. So I'm not coming in here and saying, oh, this is this is what they were experiencing. It's like, well, you tell me, like, what, um, how do you feel like that actually informed you? Like, you know, versus mm. making assumptions about them. So yeah, it, it gives them power, gives my co-collaborators power um, in their way, their own way. Awesome. And yeah, I definitely feel like the kind of quote unquote unconventional or approach, I that usually to me, 
that is the black studies experience (laughs) (laughs) that's just how it is and so what were some of your favorite topics or moments from the conference oh moments well I already talked about how I loved Keisha Khan's conversation I loved hearing about sports and Afro-Latin, especially oh, yeah. in baseball. Like it was just, mm. oh yeah, like I know Clemente. And it was um, it was cool because while we were at the Institute, we literally stayed in front of the street that's named Roberto Clemente. So it was very like validating. Like, oh, mm. look at the people we're visiting. <laughs> Represent. Represent. So um, yeah, so I love that. I love I liked I liked a lot of the topics. Um I loved um hearing Suli sing and oh yes. To hear the opera performance and getting the musical side. Um it's just it just really was a space where it was like concentrated Afro Latinidad, mm-hmm. which is very rare. That doesn't well for, for a psychologist, that does not exist. I'm not mm-hmm. too sure how it works in the Black Studies academic world. Um, but yeah for me as a psychologist yeah and it's it's also too cool even that we were able to have somebody like you who's doing psychology work mm-hmm. um because yeah I don't think that I even see that very often even doing black studies so it's it you're amazing <laughs> <laughs> thank you I would say like really good mentorship came from this experience too like mm. really connected to um Barbara and um, even Michelle, like really talking through kind of my dilemmas and how to study and research and identity and feeling validated. And um, yeah, a lot of other people too, um, a lot of other important women, African women. So it was cool to connect with them and to oh, connect with that's them. That's awesome. My other peers. <laughs> and what were some of your key takeaways from the conference? Mm-hmm. Um, key takeaways. So we out here. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was cool to see like even like the other graduate students. Uh, I was like, don't like, you know, like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so we out here. Uh, one of the things that like, I guess a little bit more on the academic side is how complex identity is. Um, and the conversations around transnational kind of dialogues and so how like identity kind of formation is more than just idea more than just one idea that it's like embedded within like the U.S. or within one country it's like well no how did the U.S. influence certain policies in Dominican Republic but how did like you know, um, migration around the Caribbean kind of also play a role in how I, I identify and connect to the the, the diaspora. Um, how did, you know, Black psychology or Black liberation movements um, get formed in the U.S.? And how much did Latin America actually play a role in Black liberation movements in mm. the U.S.? Like, that to me was very eye-opening because obviously I care about identity and identity development, but having that perspective that it's not as like black or white in that like, oh, yeah. my, my identity was formed in the state of Rhode Island from my grandma. No, it's like there's the there's all these factors that play a role in our culture, in our history. And like it's more like a global kind of 
thing. It's more of a global thing. It's more of a diaspora thing than than we than we know. Mm. Yeah. And that's super important too, because I think so often, especially, you know, for me, I'm a historian. Oftentimes we treat these groups of people like they're isolated, especially in the US where it's, you know, we out here, I don't know what's going on over there, but in actuality, the reality is much more the dialogue, the conversation, and there, there are those connections. Right, right. Like that uh, Leila Gonzalez kind of piece like really resonated with me because it was like, yo, she was, she was with Angela. Like she was with all these <laughs> Yes. I had no idea. Like, and then um, that big conversation around how liberation frameworks and theories really inform civil rights movement in the U.S. and womenist movements in the U.S. And so that came a lot from Africa and Latin America. And so that was very powerful to see kind of our missions of dismantling oppression really is, is cross transnational. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. And we could definitely keep talking (laughs) about this forever and ever, but for those of, for people who are listening right now, what are one to two resources that you would suggest for people who are hearing what you're saying and they want to know more? Yeah. So one resource very specific to psychology, but I think could be useful for anybody who works with humans across the, the, you know, Afro Latin kind of experience and the Latinx experience actually is this book by um, Adamas and Chavez Duñas. It was published in 2017 and it's called, um, make sure I got the right name, cultural foundations and interventions in Latino, Latina mental health history theory and within group differences. And so there's a specific framework in there that they introduce that's called the Centering Racial and Ethnic Identity for Latino Latinas um, Framework. Really integrates history, sociopolitical environment, context. And it, and it thinks about not just racial identity development, not just ethnic identity development, but the interplay of both mm-hmm. um, and how different contexts really play a role in that, how our phenotypes play a role in that. So very much recommend that book because it also talks about what that means for psychology and mental health and interventions. Um, And then a classic OG book that was doing this whole, like what's happening to our psyche as a black person is just Frank Spernan's um, Black Skin White Mask. So, you know, he was a psychiatrist. So he was in the world of of psychology. He very much uses psychoanalytic theory, which is a, a branch of psychology that really looks at like the unconscious and looks at how earlier experiences very much informs the unconscious. So his kind of view of Black identity and how that may be formed for someone and how uh, colonialism really impacted that, I think is like a, you know, something I, and he's from the Caribbean, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. so. His his work is really life-changing. So if you haven't, if you haven't read Franz Fanon, you got to check it out. So. Yeah. For those of you who want to remember those titles, you can go to michellereedvasquez.com to see these resources. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ami. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing all of the work that you do. Thank you. And thank you for this time and for um, really making this fun. So thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend.
For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereadvasquez.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.